Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 131, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, it's a 2019 recap. Which episodes were our favorite? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we're reflecting on 2019 and reintroducing you to some of our favorite guests of the year. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by 2019's number one principal with a podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, hey, hey, hey. How you doing? I'm doing good. You kind of went on an emotional roller coaster. I, we hadn't really gotten a chance to talk in a, in a few weeks. And are you are you ready to talk about this? If I ask a question, a few questions. I think I'm ready. Because I mean, there's a lot. It's of, been tough. There's been there's been a lot of good that came out, and we're, what we're talking about is football. Yep. So. You, I'm going to kind of set the stage a little bit, and you like correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I, I'll say up front, I didn't make it to any games this year, unfortunately. That's okay. But um, the high school that your son plays at, Oak Grove High School, which yep. um, if anybody's like from anywhere in the country, if you ever remember like Brett Favre coaching a high school team, and then they're like, he was assistant coaching, but they went to a state championship and they won, this is that school. And my oldest son was on that championship team. There you go. And Brett was his offensive coordinator. So there you go. Um, so so football's important here, in other words. It's a big deal. And and I remember asking you earlier on the season, I was like, so how's the team doing? You know, do you guys stand a chance to make it to the playoffs? Because I knew you lost a few games and you were like, well, like, we got to we win out. We lost three in a row early on. Yeah. And you were like, we got to win out if we're going to go to the and playoffs. And we won out. You won out. And then you go to the playoffs. And then what happened? We became the South 6A state champions. So the largest schools in the state of Mississippi, you guys were headed to the championship game, which was played coincidentally. At the Rock. Which is in this town. That's correct. And so like the stage was set. It was set. But it was devastating. First half, we were winning 21 to 3. You go in at halftime and you think, oh, wow, we thought it was going to be a dogfight. We never imagined being up 21-3, just, you know, it looking so simple and so easy. Mm -hmm. They made a few minor adjustments that, that just derailed our entire defense. Yeah, it was it was tough. And I mean, so there's so much to be proud of on the front end. Like at one point, you guys didn't even think well, you were going to make it to the playoffs. We were not slated. You know, the polls that they do and right. coaches and ADs or whatnot put out their um, votes and their opinion. We were not even slated to make it to the playoffs. And um, and we did. And and the team really grew. They came together. The community really came together. Right. And we supported this team in such a great way. Um, and even while it's devastating because my child – yeah, I don't think hard, I've yeah. ever seen yeah. my child take something so hard. Yeah. But when you're committed and you're a family on that team and you fight and you work and you struggle and you practice and you do all those things together, fighting through injuries mm -hmm. and at the same same time maintaining a positive academic status. Right. Hey, you know, it's, it's gut wrenching. Um, but we are very proud of the team. Because y'all are a young team too, right? Oh, yes. So, yes. But we're still going to be very sad to lose those seniors. Right. Of course. But I mean, I think you guys still do have a lot. Of, I, 
I kind of looked at this as a rebuilding year for y'all. And here it you is are a rebuilding state. year. But yeah. let me also say we've got um, current freshmen that are going to be moving up and they have not lost a game since they started playing in seventh grade. That's so good. we have some talent moving in um, to varsity. But also my child was just specifically speaking of him. He's a sophomore. Right. He's a baby. He's 15. And I think this season grew him up. That's so good. he will go through the spring. Clearly, um, they'll have spring training. And I am really excited and looking forward to the future for them. Yeah. So, again, a lot to be proud of. They made it all the way to the state championship. It was a heartbreaker. Well, let but. me tell you, the emotional roller coaster has to do with having multiple seasons. Yeah. So my husband's team played trying to um, – you know, when to go to the championship and they lost in the semifinal, mm -hmm. that was kind of devastating. And it was a very close win. Um, but I will say the, the one person in the household who's still reveling is my oldest son because right. Southern Miss became bowl eligible I heard. and they are playing in Fort Worth, Texas versus Tulane on January the 4th. And um, so he, you know, he gets some post play action. Well, that is, that is good to hear. Well, um, this, you have walked into our recap of 2019 episode. Are you ready for this? I am so ready. 2019 was quite interesting. Was it a good year for you? Um, it was an interesting year. It's not <laughs> over yet. You know, you never know. Yeah. And so as we kind of look back, we, we, we interview a lot of people on this show. I mean, gosh, we're basically about 49, 50 interviews a year. Every now mm -hmm. and then we'll We'll um, re-up on an interview or something that we, we feel like people really need to hear it. But we just are are blessed with the amount of folks that will reach out to us and that are willing to come on the show and and talk to us about, you know, things that are going on in their education community. And then we can help spread that around the rest of the country. So I always like to look back at this time of year and see, right. you know, what what's an episode that like really hit me in the gut or maybe really could have an impact somewhere else in the country. And also I have the the benefit of looking at stats too. I can see, you know, which episodes are being downloaded a lot or which um, webpage might be hit a little bit more than others. Um, but I wanted to ask you first, and maybe we're each going to bring two to the table that we liked from 2019, okay. but I want to ask you first. So give me one episode that kind of stuck out in your mind and then I'll throw one out there. Well, let me just tell you this, that every time a new episode um, post. I have a colleague that when he comes to work, he is so excited. He has started listening to it and he'll walk into my office and he'll quote me. And initially I have no idea what he's talking about. And yeah. then I'll remember. Okay, there's no context. Right? That's yeah. right. Okay. He's playing a podcast. And so we find opportunities throughout the day and we listen to it together and we have a discussion. That's good. And so when I think about our rich discussions, I think two of my favorites, one simply because of the times that we're in right now with the teacher shortage and just how teaching has changed. I think um, episode 123 about creating wellness rooms. Um, that's I'm, I'm considering trying to figure out how we could do that at my school. And we're talking about wellness rooms because, so, like, I think two years ago we did wellness rooms for students, but we're talking about wellness rooms for, for teachers. Right. Teachers need to to focus on self care as well, and that's a big deal right now because we're so concerned about the you know high rates of anxiety, the amount of stress um, that's on teachers, but not just teachers, the amount of stress that's on principals. What I really loved about this episode was um, it took place up in, I think they were in New York State or maybe Long Island. And um, the the lady who, she used to be a social worker who would right. focus on the kids. Mm -hmm. Well, she naturally kind of became that sounding board for her colleagues. And they would start asking her questions and venting to her about like what they're going through. And she realized, I need to, to do more for my colleagues. So I just started to get my wheels spinning and take a million notes and listen to what people had to say. 
And uh, then I wrote a proposal and sent it into my district. Did you start hearing more from teachers about the stresses they were going through? You said yes. you've been doing this for 30 plus years. I mean, yeah. was it not like this 30 years ago? And you've only it was seen it different. It was definitely different. I mean, you know, I, I would say in the past 10 years, I noticed that there was a very big shift. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with the complex parent and family needs and, you know, the high stake job demands. And there's the mental health issues that abound everywhere and the economy and, you know, the political says there's so much going on and, and so much more stress and schools are different now. And the other thing, Nick, that's different is, you know, I know for me, uh, when, when I started in the district, school was a very safe place for people to go. And one of the things that happens a lot with teachers these days is they go through this rehearsed trauma, mm -hmm. I call it, right. where the first day of school, we're learning about what do you do if an armed shooter comes in to your school and how do you protect your students? And so every day that those teachers are in school, they're thinking about that in the back of their mind. School is not a safe place anymore. She realized that if you think about a lot of the issues, or let's just use the term baggage, that children bring to school. As educators, we are much more than teachers. We're counselors. We're social workers. Um, we're, we're parents to some of them. I mean, there are babies all day long. We spend more time with them, in essence, than they do it with their own families. And one of the things that she discovered is that that can have an adverse effect on teachers. Not only that, Think about the crisis drills we're doing now. When we were children, mm -hmm. the biggest and most important thing um, was a fire drill. And of course, I'm from California, so earthquake, earthquake drill. drills. Yeah. But now you have to have active shooter drills where you shut down a whole district and mock what to do if a shooter comes on your campus. Lockdown drills that are much more intense. And that in itself is traumatic. Right. And in my, this was at a public school, first off. I don't want someone to be thinking like, oh, well, this is probably some private school. Oh, no. No, this is a public school. That's they right. took They took a, a vacant room. And mm -hmm. am, I, am I wrong to think that most schools probably have at least one room somewhere? You may or may not, but everyone has a teacher's lounge. So what has yeah. happened, this story, along with a few others, prompted principals. I belong to a principal's blog where we share a lot of strategies and ideas on how to improve the culture and climate in our schools. Mm -hmm. And... That prompted a lot of administrators to take a look at what the lounge looks like. If the only thing you're focusing on in your lounge is the mailbox, a restroom, and student data, then you're not really giving a place for teachers to go and woo-saw mm -hmm. in between classes. So when you walk in, uh, first of all, there is a uh, wood floor. That's faux wood, of course. Um, that really makes it homey. There are window treatments. They're, the lights are completely different. They're not the usual school lights that are, are blinding. There's a water feature. There's soft music playing. There's uh, comfortable couches, zero gravity chairs, a massage chair, foot massagers, a project table that has uh, spaces for coloring, puzzles, journaling. There's a little meditation area. There's coffee and tea available all the time. And there's just the vibe of the room. And what's so interesting to me, when people walk in that room, not one faculty member has brought their phone in. The The thing about this episode, too, is this is right back to our mission on Class Dismissed, which is find something that's being done in one place and then figure out how you can duplicate it in another area. And it's so easy to do this because, I mean, right. cost, while, while there is some money up front, it's not a recurring cost. And anybody no, who manages you just gotta the budget. you got to invest in it or you have to find a sponsor, someone exactly. who's willing to help you do that. 
And, and I would say that every community probably has somebody who's willing to put up some money for something like this, which is wellness for teachers, a place for them to basically decompress yes. during the, the heat of a school day. Yes. You know? um, so, or even after school when they want to gather and plan and collaborate together, doing it outside of their classroom can provide some type of relief. One of the episodes that really stood out for me um, dates back to earlier on in the year. It was episode um, 97. And we interviewed uh, a teacher named Joe Romano. And and Joe um, knew that there was a real problem of homelessness um, not too far from his community. He lives in Washington State. He wanted to do something for that community, but he wanted to bring his students in at the same time. So he teamed up with a nonprofit called Sawhorse Revolution, and they started building tiny homes, like him and the students. And I mean, I don't mean the students like watched him build a tiny home. Like the students were actively building tiny homes that would then end up in an area where homelessness was an issue. So, oh, wow. Sure. Yeah. The, the course that I teach is architecture and design. Uh, so this isn't the first project we do in the semester. We do like an introduction to the design and design thinking um, we participate in an event called Parking Day, where we take a, a parking spot in Tacoma uh, along with the community and we turn it into a little parklet. Uh, so we go through the process of human-centered design. So they're fairly familiar with that. Uh, then we transfer that skill set into the space of building a tiny home for people experiencing homelessness. So we'll do some work around uh, the factors and the experience of homelessness in order to inform perhaps design decisions that we make, but also understanding about why we're tackling this project. So we go through this whole design process that is involves some of the you know, factors of homelessness, but also some of the factors of like house design. Yeah. So it was really neat because the students, you know, one got to work with architectural design type software yes. that you sketch up and they, they actually help design the home. They would, they would go and like exposing them to so much. Right. And then they actually did the construction of the home and then they got to see the effects and why they were doing it, which really is, is key to me in terms of the lesson there. Well, you're impacting college and career. You're, you're impacting problem solving that involves math that involves all of the skills that they need in today's real world. And it was an engaging and relevant project. And, and also, I think sometimes, like, we have a tendency as parents to, to keep our children in a bubble, like, almost not even see homelessness unless you visit a big city or something. And that's the only time you're ever exposed to it. And I think it's really important that, that kids aren't necessarily in that bubble, or at least they step outside that bubble um, to see what's out there and to see how they can help. So they're not afraid to help when they're and adults. And understand that, that homelessness it's not some type of, you know, disease and it's contagious. People go through different cycles mm -hmm. in their life. Um, there's strife, there's struggle, there's loss of jobs, you, veterans who come back with post-traumatic stress disorder, just so many different reasons that could cause a person to be homeless. And one of the most important things that we can never forget to do with our children is to teach them to give back. I think a lot of times when it comes to homelessness, one of the things that you know, separates those that are homeless and are not is just someone having a support system because mm -hmm. all of us will fall sometimes and, and we're going to find ourselves in a bad spot, whether you lose your job or whatever, but who's there to, to help you out in that time. And sometimes someone has nobody to help them out. And that's often how they end up that way. I that's think. correct. Uh, you know, it's one of those things in school, kids do a lot of important work. Um, this is a project where that important work is going to change someone's life. And so they totally see that. Uh, especially during the design process. During the build process, you know, things are kind of hectic. We're in a parking lot. We're putting a house together. We're learning new skills. Um, and so we're constantly like revisiting the meaningfulness of the work that we're doing. 
Uh, and, but they, they totally get it. And it's awesome to see. What else stood out for you? Um, episode 117, you know, we had a deep discussion about cybersecurity, protecting student information, um, the negative impact if, if educators violate FERPA. And we had two great guests on our show that talked about some different examples of how that happens within the school districts and what you can do about it. And I found that so interesting because not long after that episode, our district implemented a two-step verification process for our emails. We were so concerned about the cyber attacks and student information being um, exposed that our district put that in place. And at first it was a little bit of a headache. Teachers didn't understand how to process it, but I found it so helpful because our tech director and our superintendent wanted us to understand that no matter what we're doing, those things can happen in the shadows when we're asleep, when we're teaching or whatnot. And so now with the two-step verification process that's in, in place, it knows what, uh, what tools, what cell phone, what laptop, it recognizes you, it protects your information. And then we can discuss student information in district um, and be protected. Now to communicate with people outside of our district, this software program that our district purchased, and I'm sorry, I don't know the name of it. It also um, provides someone from outside the district a portal where they can log in to be able to access information from us. And so when I think about some school districts who have been hit with major, major data breaches mm. and what they had to go through, I found that to be one of the most interesting episodes we've had. It was very educational for me. Yeah, it, it's a good one. And because we don't, I don't know, I don't think the public appreciates the fact that school districts are handling a lot of information. It's really nothing that they intended, right? We rolled the clock back 25 years. We never expected school districts to have all this important data. Well, Um, but if you think about it, when you register your children many years ago, one of the things that was required was was a social security number. mm -hmm. Now it's not required for you to put it in there, but let's be clear. Once you put it in the system, it's in the the district records. Well, and that's funny you say that because I I believe in the interview that we have, um, they actually address that. And, and some districts I don't even think are keeping social security numbers. They're, they're trying to find other ways to file through all that. Yeah, we tried to get away from putting social security uh, numbers for students in our SIS, student information system. But there are probably still districts that do that. Uh, and one of the reasons why we got away from that was because of uh, the data breach uh, possibility and and just having that information for students. Even if you're a teacher and this episode sounds intimidating to you, I would encourage you to listen to it, um, principals, administrators, anyone, because even if you don't have a full understanding of everything that's being said in the episode, you at least could take a few notes and then turn around to your tech director or your boss or your superintendent or whoever and just and say, have a discussion about it. Ask a yeah. few questions. Are how, we doing this? That's you right. know, how are we backing up our information in case we're attacked? And really that the, the part on backing up information and keeping it in a separate location is what's going to save a school district the most headache because they, they dive into the fact that these servers will be basically hacked into and all the data will be put on lock and they demand money, large amounts of money. Give us $150,000 if you want your data or we have it forever. And, you know, that's when like having a good backup process, like if you could just say, we're not paying the ransom, we're going to restore from last night's backup. Right. That's one thing. But if you don't have those policies and procedures to ensure you're getting a good backup every night, 
you're screwed. There's no good way other than paying paying them off. Is that something you guys did, Dane? Did you like constantly back stuff up? Or and if you don't feel comfortable answering that, that's fine. But. <laughs> yeah. So here's some exposure mitigation. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, uh, you may not tell people who are listening to the podcast how vulnerable or invulnerable some school districts are in Mississippi. Uh, yeah, I think generally most districts uh, certainly back up, have some kind of backup plan. Uh, the joke has always been. A backup plan is only as good as your restore plan. So you can have all the sure. backups you want, but if you can't restore from them, and many times those aren't tested. Um, so even if you have a backup plan, then you still need to restore something every once in a while just to make sure it works. The last one I have, um, it, this was one of our most clicked on, listened to episodes and it was about restorative practices. And I was naive to this. I did, wasn't even really aware of this whole concept. But um, the gentleman we talked to, it was Nathan Maynard. And he actually studied behavioral neuroscience at Purdue. And then he got into education. But even before he was in education, he worked in the field of juvenile justice. And I really feel like that's where he really caught my attention. Yeah, so it, it was the, the best thing that's ever happened to me. And in all honesty, I started out. I was 21 years old. You know, I, I graduated behavioral neuroscience degree. Um, I really wanted to work with at-risk and underserved, underprivileged populations. So I started working at a residential treatment care center as um, a full-time staff. I ran a violent and sex offender unit um, for three years, and then I moved up and uh, went into a clinical role. But after a while, um, it really just opens up your eyes to the, the stories of these kids. So when I'm going into education, I'm I'm I know the background, some of these, these kids that have had such a rough background and going into their homes or working with their families or having them come into the residential treatment care center, taking them to court, you know, writing these, you know, reports about their lives, about everything that's happened to them. It really makes you think like, you know, if I saw this kid walking on the street, I'd say, oh, that, that kid looks like, you know, he, you know, he's probably not doing the best, you know, life choices. I should probably walk on this side of the street. And then when you start digging in, you're like, man, he's had this, 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 this happened to him. Like this kid just needs someone to care about him. He needs someone to help him out. And that's what I've done in education. These, these tier three students or these students that are underserved and underprivileged. I look at each one of them and say like, they, they need someone on their side. They, they don't have a lot of people on their side. And he learned how to discipline them in a new way using these restorative practices. It's very difficult for teachers to understand that practice, but I want to encourage you to listen to that episode because it will cause you to think outside of the box, truly understand the needs of students and what causes the behaviors they're exhibiting. Mm -hmm. and, and these guys are authors. It's, it was Nathan um, and then another guy who is Brad Weinstein. They actually released a book called Hacking School Discipline. And from what I understand, it, it does very well. Yes, we actually purchased that book for all of our teachers this past summer so that we could do a book study on that this year. And I will tell you, it was a challenge. There are some teachers who do not believe um, in the restorative practices. They don't believe that that brings children justice. But I, I'm a firm believer that you have to understand what a child is bringing into the building. They have they have baggage you wouldn't even be able to imagine. And just hearing them, being you know supportive of them and listening and then talking them through the inappropriate behavior, you at least have to try it before a consequence. Yeah, so let's say uh, you, know, you got two students that get into an altercation fight. And typically um, some systems, what they would do is you would label that behavior and say, okay, this is your first fight. That's going to be a three-day suspension. After that three days, we're going to have you come back in. There might be a little bit of a touch base, but you know, that's, that's normally the process. With restorative practices, what it does is say, okay, let's, 
Let's talk about these individuals. Let's see what de-escalation, you know, I need to put into place. Because sometimes you do need to also have a suspension in place. But when those students return, or if they didn't end up leaving and they went to some sort of in-school suspension where they were away from each other, when they return, what you would want to do is do a conference with those two students and their parents. And during that conference, you ask a lot of empathy-driving questions, understanding how the other person felt, how the parents felt. How a fight really becomes a ripple effect for the entire climate of that classroom or that school. And then letting those two students understand how they impacted everyone else. After one of those conferences, you know, what we do is we come up with a plan of action about how to move forward and any other steps we need to take to repair the harm with what they with what they harmed in that school. So what it does is really um, builds up those two students back up as a whole. So then they feel like everything's being addressed. The parents feel like they're they're being heard as well. The teachers that were involved with the situation can be brought in so they feel like they can be heard. And then when they come back into that climate, they're reintegrated instead of just saying, okay, you're suspended, go for three days, come back in, don't do that again. It, it's more of a, hey, we're all in this together. Let's build each other back up. In a future episode that we have coming up, um, we there was an article where an educator basically listed like the top 10 things that he thinks we're going to see in 2020. And one of those top 10 things was about restorative practices. Apparently there was a major study demonstrating the effectiveness of using them. And he's saying using restorative practices over punitive school discipline is going to be call it a, a trend, a tipping point, something that we're going to really see a lot. In and that's going to impact chronic absenteeism. It will impact your suspension rates. It will impact student achievement. Um, it will impact social and emotional supports. And I just want to give a little shout out to my assistant principal. Her name is Ashandra Walker. When we provided that book for her, she really delved deeply into it. And she regularly provides restorative circles along with our school counselor. And it's making a huge difference in our building, especially within our, our population of our girls mm -hmm. with the mean girl thing and the bullying. Right. It's, it's, causing a lot of them to break down their walls, which helps get to the root of why they're being a bully and then realizing the impact that they're having on someone. And we're finding out that most times bullies have been bullied. Yeah. Well, that that's great to hear that that's taking place at your school. Um, if you want to kind of get ahead on that restorative practices, that's a great episode. I don't know if I said the actual number on that. That's episode 109. And of course, you know, we've been playing a few clips from within that episode. But if you want to go and hear the whole thing. So it was a great 2019. Just because we picked these four episodes as saying like, these are our favorites doesn't mean that we didn't have some incredible interviews uh, throughout the year. We really appreciate um, all of our guests from coming on the show. It was actually very hard to select, but to be honest, because I think that we really cover topics um, that are relevant and important for, for teachers across the nation. Yes. So uh, big plans for 2020? Just We're just going to keep pushing forward. I, I, I don't do a lot of, you know, New Year resolutions, but I am goal oriented and you just got to keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Here's the 2020. You know what's going to be good about 2020? The New Year's glasses. <laughs> are gonna, they're going to work. Cause, cause, yes, cause they they're will two, work. They're going to have two big old zeros in there, and that's going right. to be right where the eyes go. Because some years it's just like, Be sure you send me a picture yeah. in your glasses. Yeah, I will. I'll have to find some for sure. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed.com. 
We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.